thing that's able to set us free from sin, right? So please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, the fifth chapter, as we continue our study in the Beatitudes. And beloved, as we've been going through the Beatitudes, it is so gracious, it is so good to know that Jesus is, it, it, he is inviting you, he is inviting me to experience blessedness, this flourishing that comes from walking with God. This flourishing that comes from obedience to God. This flourishing that comes from just being Christian. Jesus is inviting you into that reality as he is teaching and his disciples and walking us through this text. Beloved, as I was looking upon this, this one verse uh, for, for this week, I was reminded uh, of just how rich this text is. There is no way in one sitting that we can dig through all the, the aspects and implications and, and, uh, of this one verse. So we're just going to touch on a little bit and do the best we can. But beloved, if I'm honest, this text is convicting. It has been so convicting to my heart this week. And I've been broken. Because there's a lot of times in my life where I just don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beloved, I believe there's many times in your life where you just don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's convicting because we don't get an out. We don't get an excuse to say, I just don't want to hunger and thirst. Jesus is saying, if you are going to be Christian, then you have to be hungry. So my prayer is that the Lord would convict us. That he would humble us. That he would show us that our, our, our false sense of righteousness, our self-righteousness is actually nothing but filthy rags. But may we trust and lean on him in order to be righteous in his sight. Matthew, the fifth chapter, if you would, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. Uh, just to help us with a little bit of context, we'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Verses 1 through 6. Beloved, this is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the, on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. You know, just the other day I found myself sharing with little Nate the very same things that my father shared with me when I was younger. Isn't that amazing? If, you, if, if there's any young folks in here, your parents, they actually know what they're talking about, okay? See, when I was younger, I, I suffered from uh, the lack of motivation. Pretty much I was lazy when it came to everything. I was able to do just enough to get by, and I seemed to be content with doing just enough to get by. And it was a habit that I had developed 
that in all aspects of my life, I would just do enough to get by. I, 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 I knew just the, the, the details. And that's what's so crazy about it. I, I was so worried about just getting by. I was doing extra work to figure out how just to get by. If there was a test to take and say uh, out of 30 points, 20 points was enough to get by, I would do my best just to study enough to get 20 points. If there was a, a research paper or a paragraph to turn in, if it was a 500-word essay, I would do exactly 500 words, and then I would put it in a big font to make it look like I wrote more than what I really wrote. Y'all don't know that. Y'all diligent. Y'all faithful. Beloved, it wasn't until I got older, until I really learned things like leaders are readers. Or you get out what you put in. It took me a while to understand that doing just enough really wasn't good enough. Has someone had that conversation with you in your life about doing just enough to get by? Maybe someone sees the potential in your life and says, you should study harder, you should work harder, you could really be a leader, but we're content, we're complacent with just doing enough. Have you had to have that conversation with someone uh, that you know? Maybe it's a coworker who you find yourself doing all of their work because they're content with doing just enough. Maybe it's not academics. Maybe you do just enough to get by at home. You don't clean up all the rooms, but you do just enough to clean that one room that everybody's going to be in. Maybe you do just enough in your relationships. You're, you're, you're home just enough to keep him or her from nagging you. You do just enough to make sure your children have what they need. And your, and your whole life is filled with just enough. Beloved, unfortunately, if we're really honest, most of us have the same attitude when it comes to following Jesus. We do just enough to get by. We come to worship service just enough. We, we might read our Bibles just enough. We, we, we pray just enough. Beloved, I'm reminded what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.15. He says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You know, he's talking about there's some folks out there, they saved, but they barely going to make it in. They just going to make it because their entire life they focused on just enough. Are you a just enough Christian? Is there a such thing as just enough Christian? Because in our lives we act like it's good to be just enough Christian. I'm just enough kind so people don't really get on me. I'm just enough compassionate. I have just enough manifestations of the Holy Spirit in my life. I have just enough love, just enough peace, just enough patience, just enough kindness, just enough self-control that when people look at me, they actually won't question 
do I love Jesus because I have just enough. Beloved, this text is so convicting because the truth is we have become complacent. We have become indifferent. We have become apathetic, nonchalant when it comes to pursuing Jesus. When was the last time you considered your own righteousness? When was the last time you did what the old song used to say? I woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus. When you wake up, is your mind stayed on Jesus or it stayed on what you got to do? It stayed on those text messages you missed while you was asleep. Is it stayed on, on, on what the day has in store? Or do you actually wake up with your mind stayed on Jesus? What happened to that first saved zeal? You know how it was when you were first saved. You had an excitement, a passion to pursue Christ Jesus. Where is that Psalm 42 type of hunger in your life? As a deer pants for a flowing stream, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Where's that Psalm 63 type of desire? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist is talking about this deep yearning for Jesus. Beloved, the bottom line is that we don't take Jesus as serious as we should. And in the text this morning, Jesus, he is teaching his disciples that the Christian life is not about getting by. The Christian life is about flourishing. Jesus teaches his disciples and Jesus teaches us this morning that to be Christian is to be hungry. To be Christian is to be hungry. In verse 6, Jesus declares, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Just to hear those two words put together, hunger and thirst, they, it, it, they imply a couple different things. There's a theme going on. First, to hunger and thirst, it, it represents the most basic needs of life. To hunger and thirst, to think about those words, those are just the most basic needs in life. They're, they're not fancy. They're not something over the top. It's not something that someone else on the other side of town could have or based upon your socioeconomic uh, uh, status or your, uh, your ethnicity. Uh, everybody, this is basic. This is what Paul is saying in 1 Timothy, the 6th chapter and the 8th verse when he says, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. He's saying hunger and thirst are just basic needs in life. It's not fancy. But then he also says when in this text, when we see those words hunger and thirst, they represent the most basic acts of life, right? What is the most basic thing that you can do? Drink some water, eat some food. Basic thing. Again, you don't need 
to get a reward because you ate all your dinner. That's not some huge accomplishment. But yet, it's a basic act that we need to take part in. I'm reminded of 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and 31st verse. The Apostle Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The reason why he says eat or drink, he wants you to understand in the most mundane, basic things of life, we should be, cons- we should be mindful that are we giving glory to God? But then thirdly, and I think this is what's most weighty here, hunger and thirst represent the most basic requirements for life. Food and water are basic physical needs and required for survival. If you don't eat and if you don't drink, you won't survive. You may be able to go a day or a couple of days without food or water, but you can't have a sustained life not eating and not drinking. You will die. These are the, be- the most basic elements you need to live. So, beloved, when we think about being Christian, some of the, the, the most basic need that we have in being Christian is that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why would Jesus say we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness? To even say that implies that we don't have it, right? To hunger and thirst means you don't have it, but you need it. What Jesus is going on about, he's trying to help you, to, his disciples to understand that we are in desperate need of righteousness. Uh, the, the text of scripture says that God is light and that there is no darkness in him. That means that for anyone to stand before God, they have to be perfectly holy and blameless and set apart from sin. They can't have no no side sin, no no hidden sin, no undercover sin. If they're going to stand before God, they have to be perfectly righteous. And what he is helping his disciples understand is you don't get that. And I don't have that. Because we all have sin that we deal with. And we all have those skeletons in our closet that we don't want anyone to know. And we have those things we've swept under the rug and we think that they're, they're just going to disappear from our life. But if we're going to actually stand before the throne of God, we have to be holy and blameless and perfect. God says himself, he says, be ye holy for I am holy. He's talking about sinless perfection. He's not talking about, well, God knows my heart. Hebrews 12 and 14 reminds us, strive for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. If you ain't holy, you're not seeing God. So when Jesus brings this topic up to his disciples that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying you really ain't got no righteousness in and of yourself. You need some righteousness. You need to pursue righteousness. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Beloved, what I want us to understand this morning is that hunger and thirst is not just something super Christians do. It's not just them Christians who seem to have it all together. But Jesus is talking about what it means to be Christian. 
period. There's no, there's no segmentation of the Christian walk. We have the pious Christians over here, then we have the, the carnal Christians here, and the nominal Christians here. No! It's either you are in Christ or not. The basic goal of being Christian is being righteous, this, this set-apartness for God. When we think about these two words, the hunger and thirst, what they really mean is, is to desire, to pursue. To, to hunger and thirst is to have a supreme ambition for. This is the top of my list and it has a priority for my life. But not just any ambition. This is not just ambition to have ambition. This is ambition for righteousness. To be righteous is to act in accordance with what is right. It is the, the rightness of life. Able to make right choice, choices, right decisions at the right time for the right reasons. This righteousness, this, this, this living according to not my standard, not the world's standard, not mama them standard, not grandma them standards, but according to the standards which God has set forth through Scripture himself. That's what it means to pursue righteousness. To hunger and to thirst for righteousness is to prioritize the work of the gospel in and through your life. That's what it means to pursue righteousness. It is to understand the, the depths of the gospel, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, that your, your lineage, your, uh, the family you were born in does not give you access to the king. Because you are separated from God because of your sin. And that you were not thinking about God. You weren't looking for God. But God being rich in mercy, he came and rescued you out of the pit. You were dead, laying flat. You had no oxygen in you. You had no life in you. But God being kind, he comes and rescues you. And breathes the breath of life into your heart. That's when we think about the gospel, it's good news because it is so much bad news. Every fiber and fabric of our body has been corrupted by sin. Our whole DNA has been rearranged by sin. And if left unchecked in my life, I will always just do what I want. I will always just live how I want. I will always just say what I want to say and go where I want to go and do what I want to do. Because the center of my life will be me. I'm God of my own life if sin is left unchecked. But the gospel says that Jesus has come to set you free from your slave master. He has redeemed, bought back a people for himself. And he has set them free. He has taken away their sin and given them a righteousness that is foreign unto them. And he is allowing them to be his people. He is allowing them now to be his hands and to be his feet, to be his mouth. And, and he is allowing them to, to take the flag posts from the kingdom of heaven and post it down in places like Forest Baptist Church. If, if that understanding of the gospel is not at work in your heart, if you think that you're just so good, if you think that God owes you because you go to church like you should, 
If you think that, that there's something outside of yourself that allows you to be acceptable to God apart from the blood of Jesus, then you got the gospel all wrong. The gospel says, I can't work hard enough. I can't look good enough. I can't be smart enough in order to be acceptable to God. I can only be made acceptable to God when I repent of my sin and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And then the blood of Jesus is applied to my life. So now when I was shaking my fist at God, the blood of Jesus is applied to my life. So now when God sees me, he doesn't see my wickedness. He sees his son. That's the good news of the gospel. And if that truth is not working in your life, then you will never pursue righteousness because you have a self-righteousness of your own. Think about our lives. Many of our issues and challenges come from the pursuit of wrong and worldly passion. Much of the brokenness we, 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 we're experiencing in our lives and in our families come from a pursuit of everything else besides righteousness. We're pursuing relationships. We're pursuing money. We're pursuing glory and honor and prestige. We're, we're pursuing everything but Jesus, and what we're reaping is brokenness in return. Broken hearts, broken families, broken lives. But what hurts my heart even more is the fact that we're not hungry and thirsty for righteousness because we've already been eaten from the world's table. We're full. We're full. We don't want Jesus because I've already eaten. It's like when you, when you used to come home and, and the first thing you wanted to do is raid the pantry and eat cookies and and, and, and some snacks. And what did your, uh, what, what did big mama used to say? No, you, no, you leave them alone. You'll spoil your what? Your appetite. Beloved, so many of us in here have a spoiled appetite for Jesus because you've been snacking all your life. You don't want Jesus because you're already full. Or maybe you don't think you're snacking from the world's table. You're just full of anger. You're already full. You're just angry all the time. Why, why are you so angry if you belong to Jesus? You're already full because you're full of jealousy. You want what they got. You want your Facebook feed to look like everybody else's Facebook feed. Jealous. You don't hunger and thirst because you're full of bitterness. You don't hunger and thirst because you're full of greed. You don't hunger and thirst because you're full of lust. You don't hunger and thirst because you're full of laziness. Beloved, at the end of the day, to hunger and thirst is to long to be in relationship with God. The Christian's ultimate hunger and thirst is the desire and the ambition to be like Jesus. Righteousness is not an it. Righteousness is a he, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
The text of scripture reveals to us in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter and the 30th verse, and it says, and because of him, Jesus, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. When you pursue Jesus, he becomes your righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it like this, for our sake. He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. At the end of the day, when Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's really saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for me. To pursue Jesus is to pursue righteousness. It's not a hard equation. If you want to be righteous, then you need to chase after Jesus. You need to follow Jesus. You need to talk with Jesus. You know how, how, how the other song go, just a little talk with Jesus. Let us tell him all about our troubles. He will hear our faithful cry and he will answer. We got to talk to Jesus. Think about Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. And righteousness will not be far behind. It's like the, the 23rd Psalm where he said, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When you begin to pursue Jesus, think about Jesus, meditate on Jesus, and talk to Jesus, then righteousness won't be far behind. Righteousness will be with you and will dine with you. Beloved, being Christian is not about getting by, but being like Jesus. Look back here on verse 6. Hear the promise that Jesus makes to his disciples, right? He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Oh, that's a beautiful word satisfied those who recognize their need to pursue righteousness will receive the very thing that they are in search of for those who who taste and see for those who who desires who who, who whose meal is to do the will of God for those who, who are pursuing righteousness and get a taste of this, it's like going to your favorite restaurant, a sit down at grandma's table, and you begin to, to eat, and it tastes so good. When it tastes so good, do you, do you push the plate away? Oh, no, you bring that. You scoot, your, you scoot your chair up some more. You bring the plate closer to you, and you, and you eat more. And it tastes so, because it tastes so good, you want some more. And you eat, and then there's times where you're so full, but it tastes so good. You just keep on eating. And you know how you do, you undo your collar, you undo your belt. Like, I'm about to take this down. Because it tastes so good, beloved Jesus, tastes so good. He says, he, he doesn't have a shadow of 
of a doubt. He says, oh, taste and see. He says, just grab hold of me. Just lay hold of my life, and you will see that I taste so good. He's sweeter than honey. And, he, and when you begin to taste from, from Jesus, you will want more and more and more of Jesus. And you want more. It's just you, you taste and, and pursue, and you taste and pursue, and you taste and pursue. So many of us are trying to have a righteousness without even tasting Jesus. And we're frustrated. Why am I not on fire like they are? Why do I always seem down in the dumps? Taste and see. The very thing that we're in search of, he says, you shall be satisfied. Understand. This, this, this righteousness is an external righteousness. It, it, it doesn't come from in us. The doctrine of justification reminds us that, that Jesus, that, that, that God is, is legally absolving you from your, from, from your case. He, he's setting you off the hook by declaring that you are found not guilty. That means all the charges that were stacked up against you, and they weren't even trumped up charges. You know you did it. You was on camera, and they got witnesses. All those charges that were set against you, he says, I'm, I'm going to throw out the case. And, and no longer can they try to convict you from this. That you can never be put in jail because I've, I've thrown out the case. Oh, it's nothing more happier than a criminal who gets off. Oh, beloved. To be the case, oh yeah, I beat that case. So justification tells us that, that, that the case, the charges have been dropped against us, right? But the other aspect of justification is I can't be made right before God just by having my sin taken away. Now, I, uh, I have to have something credited unto my account in order to stand before this holy and righteous God. So the other part of that is God being rich in mercy, in order for him to be the just lawgiver, he says, I'm not just throwing out your case, but there was another who will take your punishment and his life will be credited unto you, and that credit is your righteousness. It's not because of you, but he's done it for you. And Jesus, he, he takes off his white robe, and he places it on you. He imputes his righteousness on you. And Jesus' righteousness is credited to you. He bought it. He paid for it with his blood. And then he credits it on your account. Oh, beloved, have you, have you ever been in line with somebody, with a family friend, and you go to pull out your car to pay for it? You know you wasn't supposed to be buying those shoes. You wasn't supposed to be buying that TV. You wasn't supposed to be buying it at all. And you go to pull out your car, and just so happened, the person with you says, no, nah, I got it. Ooh. Ooh. 
You were just hoping they swiped your car quick so you could get out of there because it's overdrawn. You're just trying to get out of there. And we do the same thing with our Christian lives. We act like we got it all together, but we don't. But somebody stepped in, and his name was Jesus, who credited on your bank account his righteousness. So it's guaranteed to be, you ain't got to check your, your credit karma app, your mint app to see if your righteousness account has been full. God has, has, has declared paid in full plus some when Jesus went to Calvary's cross and said to Talistai, it is finished. So this righteousness is external. But yet this righteousness is continual because alongside the doctrine of justification is the doctrine of sanctification. And the doctrine of sanctification says, I know that I have been made just. I know that, uh, that, that I've been declared as righteous as I will ever be. However, if I'm going to be conformed to the image of Jesus, there's some work I need to do right now. So when, so when Jesus is saying hunger and thirst for righteousness, he is saying, pursue me that your life will be continually changed, continually washed, continually transformed. And, 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 if, you, and if you find yourself pursuing, pursuing Jesus today, next week, the week after that, then all of a sudden you, you, you'll look up and find yourself somewhere that you didn't even know you could be. All of a sudden, Jesus has taken the taste out of your mouth. He causes you to change the channel, turn the radio, walk up in church, give of yourself and not expect to be given from others. It, it, it changes your whole outlook on life because when you are pursuing Jesus, you will receive righteousness. The reality is that those who really want righteousness will have it, will receive it. If you are not growing in righteousness, that Jesus is telling us it's, it's really because you don't want it. You don't want it. But if you really want to be righteous, you start hungering and thirsting for Jesus. In order for the sanctification to take place in our, in our lives, however, we must find out where Jesus is and begin moving and placing ourselves in the places of provision. Put yourself in a place where you can be blessed with righteousness. I think about the blind beggar in Luke the 18th chapter. In Luke the 18th chapter, the, the blind beggar, is he's on the street. And Jesus is coming into Jericho, and, and he's begging on the side of the street, and he hears this noise going on. And, and he's like, what's going on? What's all the chaos? What's all the commotion about? And someone turns, don't you know that Jesus is coming? And as soon as he hears the name of Jesus, he, he, he scoots himself to the side of the road, and he begins to cry out, Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, have, have mercy on me. Son of David, have, have mercy on me. And everybody, oh, just be quiet. Just, it, it don't take all that. And, it, and ignoring the cross, he says, son of David, I have mercy on me. And Jesus walks up to him and says, do you want to be healed? He said, yes, I want to be healed. And he says, so be healed. 
Beloved, when I think about that blind beggar, sometimes you got to get yourself in the right position in order to be blessed. If you off the curb, if you on the sidewalk, if you on your house and Jesus passing by, you're going to miss your blessing. But if Jesus, if the commotion goes on in the church, if worship begins to take place and you walk up in here, what's going on? Well, what are they all shouting about? And if someone says, don't you know that Jesus is coming through this place? Don't sit down in your chair. Come up to the aisle and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You got to put yourself in a position to receive righteousness. You place yourself in a position to receive righteousness when you do a couple different things. When you, when you pick up your Bible and you read. Just by reading your Bible. Spending time in prayer. Being with the community of believers. Letting someone else besides your unsaved friends speak into your life. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that those are what they call means of grace. The means and methods by which God bestows his mercy and grace upon his people. Get up and get off the sideline. If you want to grow in righteousness, place yourself in a position to receive that righteousness. Instead of always worrying about serving yourself, seek to find out how you can serve others. Instead of worrying about holding on to your money, you begin to be generous with what God has given you because it's his money. But beloved, we can easily look at a text like this. And begin to feel overwhelmed or burdened because we know we're inconsistent. I mean, our lack of hunger can be seen through our inconsistency, right? Our lack of hunger and thirst for, for Jesus is shown by our inconsistent Bible reading, our inconsistent prayer, our inconsistent worship, our inconsistent gathering, our inconsistent community gathering, and our inconsistent demonstrations of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So, beloved, I don't leave you with a self-help sermon. I leave you with the same person that we started with, Jesus. Hunger and thirst for Jesus today. Don't hunger and thirst for church. Don't hunger and thirst for religion. Because you will starve to death. But he says that if you hunger and thirst for me, you will be satisfied. Hunger and thirst for the one who is called the bread of life. Hunger and thirst for the one who is called the living water. Hunger and thirst for Jesus through repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for living for myself. I'm sorry for being disobedient. Would you please forgive me and help me to turn to live for you? Hunger and thirst for Jesus through faith in Christ alone. 
because only through him can we have salvation. Hunger and thirst for Jesus, and you will be satisfied. Beloved, hear these words in the book of Amos. Amos, the sixth chapter. Verse one says, woe to those who are at ease in Zion. And to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria. The notable men of the first of the nations to whom the house of Israel comes. And then he goes down to verse four. And he says, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. You know what Amos is saying? There's a bunch of folks in Israel who just got too comfortable. They're living up the life. They're benefiting from from God's blessings and doing nothing in return. And what does he say? They shall be the first to be exiled. The first ones to be cast out. Beloved, don't be the first to be cast out because you're just so comfortable, because you're just so complacent. But hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are you doing just enough? Are you satisfied with doing just enough? Beloved, I, I believe this text is a wake-up call for us today. To be Christian means to be hungry for Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessed word. Thank you for your blessed son, Jesus Christ. Father, I'm sorry for my lackadaisical efforts to pursue righteousness. But I'm sorry that many days you're not the center of my joy. Please forgive me and please forgive us. Help us to pursue you with reckless abandonment. Not worrying about what this world says. But worrying only about to whom we belong. Father, for the one who is struggling in their sin, please reveal to them that they would never be satisfied apart from you. Help us to pursue righteousness as our supreme ambition. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.